You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Bob Odenkirk is coming on. It's an intro. God's sakes. I just blow your eardrums out. Sorry. Some, some, somebody left a comment once and they were like, um, yeah, I almost turned it off because I didn't see Bob, uh, didn't see your guest. I mean, have you ever heard of an introduction? Uh, I guess I'm that boring, huh? They didn't want to see me for, uh, whatever. <clears throat> Ryan's not here again. So I'm doing this all by my lonesome, but he is doing editing, massive amounts of editing. The Bob Odenkirk one, which is coming up right now, was, uh, Pretty fantastic, and it got long because I was just like, "Holy crap! It's such a it's such a great conversation." We talk about Chris Farley. We talk about because you know, he wrote, uh, you know, "Van Down by the River." He wrote or co-wrote, worked with Chris as well. Uh, that sketch, which is to me, there's nobody funnier than Chris Farley, and that sketch is one of the funniest sketches I've ever seen. And uh, we talk about that a lot. I I think he uh, he enjoyed it. I was hoping he would because you never know. He's like, "Ah, oh, we're talking about so much about the past." Well. Um, I really, truly love Bob Odenkirk on this, on this show. He, uh, he was just so open and, and sweet. And, uh, we talked a lot about everything. He just seemed, you know what it is? He seemed interested, interested in me, interested in my house, interested in, in life. Um, you know, I, I know a lot, I don't know one person who doesn't like Bob Odenkirk. Um, He's been working his ass off his whole life. And, uh, you know, Saul obviously is, you know, or Breaking Bad was his big break, being bad. And then uh, Better Call Saul, which is on now and uh, is getting better and better and better. And um, I have a lot of catching up to do, to be honest with you. Sorry, Bob, if you're listening to this. But uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into anything else. I hope you guys are all well. I hope you subscribe to the podcast. If you're not, please support us. Um, we all do this for free. Obviously we're doing well. I, I pay people to, to help me with this, but, uh, so you just watching, listening, sending to your friends, getting them to subscribe, writing reviews. It, it just really helps in the, in the scheme of things. So I thank you dearly for that. Um, I just, uh, I started a series called the kingdom pretty rad on uh, Netflix. Um, I subtitle it. My friend Harlan decided to overdub it in English, which I don't know how he does that drives me crazy movie called The Platform. I think it was on Netflix, maybe. Really good. Uh, you know, I love my horror. And um, anyway, Camp Rosie, be on the lookout for it. It's coming out uh, Halloween. We're going to be uh, doing Camp Rosie. The links will come out soon. They will Tickets will sell out. It's two days at a summer camp for Halloween. Camp Rosie. Camp Rosie. And Patreons, thank you so much to all my Patreons. It's just incredible. The large amount of people fans friends now it's a community that have joined patreon to support the podcast and uh, we do all sorts of fun stuff just go to patreon the app or patreon.com uh there's so many perks if you're a fan of the podcast you could join and um you get messages from me when you join and there's just a bunch of good stuff you want to check that out you get a bunch of extra bonus stuff if i say a bunch of extra sheesh louise um you know, something that good happened that I want to throw out there because, you know, obviously there's a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good too. Um, my grandfather passed away November 28th, my brother's birthday on Thanksgiving. And, you know, he was my best friend. I loved Irv deeply, dearly. Everyone did. And, uh, you know, it's really tough for my grandmother. And April 8th was his, it would have been his 94th birthday. And it was tough for my grandma. She's quarantined. So, uh, we're all quarantined if you're doing the right thing. And 
my cousin Jill, his granddaughter Jill, my cousin, gave birth to a little boy and named him Jack Irving. And I just thought that was really cool. On Irv's birthday, that happens. And I just thought that was a damn good thing. Damn good thing. Stay tuned afterwards. I'm going to read a couple of letters from fans and, and what they think of the show. And I haven't even read some of them yet, but um, I do read them. Um, and thank you for uh, just uh, being uh, you. Sound like Mr. Rogers. Let's get inside of Bob Odenkirk. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. So am I recording? Everything's recording. And he's recording? Everything's been recording. And that's recording over there? Oh, yeah. You, Ryan, you're good? Everything's great. Yeah, so, anyway. You're looking around. Yeah, I, yeah, you have so much memorabilia. I, I think it's pretty damn cool. I mean, like I said, I don't collect stuff. I don't keep anything. Yeah, you were looking at but, my stuff beforehand but and you I, said that. I, one of the reasons I don't is literally because people like you exist. So I don't need to. <laughs> because instead of me having all this stuff, you have it. And I can just somehow find my way to your place once in a while and sure. get to look at it and go, wow. Do and then not- I get to leave and you have to take care of it. <laughs> do you not have one thing at your house or do you have one thing that you're like, if I met this actor, if I worked with this guy, there's one thing I would just want something. One thing. What if it was uh, Robert De Niro? Have you worked with De Niro? No, I sat next to him at the Saturday Night Live 45th anniversary. Did he know who you were? No. Did you say something so. to him? I looked at him and he looked at me and then I didn't bother him. Did he give you like a, <clears throat> the breath? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's gonna, uh, yeah. He seemed uh, in his own world. He was with his wife. I think I took her seat for my bit, and that's why we interacted a little. For, for your a bit, second. you had a yeah. You, you, I had a line or something. I think it was during Eddie Murphy's thing. I there there was like a line I had, and it was right next to Robert De Niro. Yes, I was sitting next to him or his wife. Somebody had to move a seat so I could sit there for my bit, so they could get me on camera. And then my seat was behind on the row a little ways up on the same row as Bill O'Reilly. And uh, lots of everybody was famous in that room. But you say Bill O'Reilly. And I'm like, why is he here? What is he <laughs> doing? What are you doing here? He likes comedy. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> you said something. Don't you it? love right wingers attempts at comedy? It's always fucking great. So those, guys on, those, guys on, those guys on Fox News like Greg Gutfield. Oh my God! It's such a sweat to watch him try to. Be but you funny. do watch it. You when watch. It's on. I don't. I don't go there. But when it's on, I'm like, oh, this guy's trying to be funny, and I just you get to sweat like crazy and think, oh, it's so hard. That's what makes you happy watching people struggle. I, but maybe his audience find great hilarious. About it. It's kind. Of, it's always an angry laugh. It's never a fun, sweet, or like laugh or his 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 attempt at humor. And I agree that. If somebody were to say, well, a lot of Bob, a lot of the comedy you did was pretty harsh stuff. You're right. Right. But there was more of a joy to it and a silliness and a lightness. But a lot of right wingers, when they try to be funny, it's only angry. It's only just anger coming out and couched as, isn't this funny? We're making fun. And it's got such anger in it. 
and you can just see it. it's not hidden at all. And you like that? Well, I like how hard they have to work to, tr- and how much. Uh, it's just watching someone strive so uh, overtly, so clearly striving. Uh, With not a care in the world, just going it. for it. No, they are. They have tons of cares in the world. They have no. They have no. They can't relax at all because. Everything, oh, jeez, I'm overanalyzing it to you, maybe. But I, uh, comedy I, people would know. I, I think writers would know exactly what I mean. Like, What right-wingers would you say? Now, we're going to alienate uh, just, a lot of any, people. Look, I'm I, just saying, what right-wingers do you I think are really— I don't want to make this too real, political, because I don't no, really— I don't get political. I just want to know who's funny. Like, on the, you know, who's a real conservative, who's a friend of yours, who's a you know, a very conservative, who, you, who is funny. Isn't Norm Macdonald uh, kind of conservative? I Is think, he? I think he's really funny. He's, he's brilliant. He's one of the funniest guys ever. I always thought Nick DiPaolo was pretty damn funny. Who's Nick DiPaolo? I should he's know He's a comic, a New York comic. And, yeah, very yeah. conservative. And he is very conservative. But you find him funny. He can be damn funny. Yeah. You said something in an interview that you were like, uh, famous people still make you nervous. I don't know if you're kidding around because I, I kind of have that feeling. I get that feeling. So I connect when I see something in an interview like that, this little nuance of like, yeah, I get nervous. I always, do you really get nervous around big stars? Uh, you know, I've refined my, uh, sense of my own anxiety a little bit, uh, because some people like, I think it has more to do with their kind of like the way they approach the world and what you, who you think you're interacting with. If you, if you think the person is on the same wavelength as you, then no. So like, um, I did a movie called the post and it was, I was very, very, uh, awkward around Stephen, who's such a nice person, Steven Spielberg, who directed it. And is that the one with Meryl Streep? And yeah, right, right, right. And uh, and also Tom Hanks, who I've known for a long, long time, and, and I'm nervous around them. Extremely nervous. Did yeah. they know that? I think they could sense it. Sure. What is it about? What? How would you describe yourself if somebody was watching well, you? What I, I honestly read something today that made me gave me clarity on it, and it said something. Ooh, I even share wrote it, it down. Please, it, it please was like, share it. It was a line from something in a article you don't recruit spielberg if you aren't looking for a product with heart one that has optimism instead of cynicism at its core and that's true and i think i have cynicism at my core (laughs) and so when i'm around people who don't see the world that way um it's i want i it's hard i get more nervous i i don't feel like i can relax and just say anything and they'll understand the the layer of cynical uh critique that is just a part of how i look at the world and then then i have to be very careful around them it's like being around an aunt and an uncle at a wedding and they go, what? Tell me about this Breaking Bad. And you go like, well, yeah, you know, it's not really for you, but, you know, there's a lot of violence. And, you know, you don't really I'm not going to just relax and tell you what I'm thinking because you're a nice person. You live in a nice world. The world you see is a nice place with good people, with good intentions. And that's not how I see the world. Okay, and I so don't that- wreck you. I'm, I'm happy that you exist. <laughs> And and I am not trying to dissuade you or teach you anything. Right. God bless you for seeing things that way. We need people like you more than we need people like me. 
and I don't want. I don't want to. You know what I mean? I Does don't this go upset. through your head every time? I in, think in it's a, just a that feeling of oh, yeah. And so when I um, the last day uh, that the whole crew on that film was together, um, it was a wonderful moment where um, Steven Spielberg thanked us all and told us how great we were. And then we went to a, a restaurant where. Everybody was talking and enjoying the experience we just had. And I got to hang out with Meryl and I had a great time and totally relaxed and just laughing. And were you upset with yourself? That the, that's no, the, because she's cynical. And so like, I so connected, like I was right. Yeah. Like, you, I, right. Like I knew like, Oh, I mean, obviously I should be intimidated by her, a massive talent and resume and just who she is. Right. But way less because I could just, I could say anything and not feel like she might not understand the point of view that I'm talking from. Right. It might hurt her feelings even to hear a, a, a rude or, or harsh comment. It wouldn't. No. She's really a sharp kind of harsh, harsh person. I mean, Whatever, she, was, she was, yeah, she was very know? close friends with Carrie Fisher. And so that, yeah. You know, so you just, you cynicism. just, but you feel those things right away and right. you, you can do, you can relax with a person. So you felt comfortable so I don't with think her. it has to do with fame is my point. I think the nervousness comes about a feeling of like, we're, I, I already know we're not are, on the same wavelength and I'm not trying to teach anybody anything. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with talking to people who understand what I'm saying. And then, you know, I'm not trying to lecture people or. or so fame doesn't anyone. get in the way. When Spielberg walks in a room, you're not going. It does. I just, it does. I, uh, come I, on, I, that guy's so huge that he's like an icon. And when he talks to you, it's like Abraham Lincoln jumping off the penny and talking. And you're like, "What are you talking to me for? You're you should be in a history book. I can't look at you." And but how it. do you act? Take that one. just was freaking me out. But that was everybody was freaked out by that. But everybody take one on, for Odenkirk. Take one, Horrible. your scene. Just your, the worst. Spielberg's watching you. He's uh, behind the you camera. You forget how to walk. Who are you acting with? Now you with? tell me. Who are you acting with? No, but you have to tell me a story about being intimidated. Always. Go. My story of my life. Even like I, I want to hear I, about I Clint you, Eastwood. Well, I had met you years ago, and I hadn't seen you so long. You've had all this fame and all this, you know, and, and I love it because you're one of the good guys. And you walk, and I was a little nervous. I was like, oh, you know, and then you have an innate ability to sort of make people feel comfortable, which I also, I'm not, not to brag, but I have a gift like that. I like to make people feel good, yeah. comfortable. You immediately go in my office. You're like, wow, you have all this signed shit. I wouldn't get it, but I understand why you do. Yeah. And it's just like, there's a rapport. You, you make people feel comfortable. Oh, that's nice to hear. Well, it's, it's true. It well, is. Well, I think part of that is, you know, if you get some great roles as you've had and I've had, and you, you get attention you kind of ask yourself, like, how much of this should I own and should I make a part of myself? Like the attention you're feeding me and the the focus I deserve and I should, you know, and some people feel inc incredibly justified. And in fact, I think feel like they finally found their place in the world when they get all that focus and attention. And then they carry that with them wherever they go. Right. Yeah. And then I think People like me, and I would say probably you, feel like, well, no, wait, I'm just a regular person. I'm getting attention because of the project I'm in right now, whatever that is, a movie, yeah. we're on a promotional tour, or someone's a fan of the project. They don't know me. Right. They're not a fan of me. They will never know me. My wife knows me, and my kids kind of know me, and then that's about it. 
And everyone else who thinks I'm great or wants to talk to me or give me their focus, they're fans of the project that I'm in, not me. And, and so I'm okay. I'm, I'm just the working person who's in that project. And it's nice to get that reflected attention and focus. It is nice. That's isn't interesting, it? by isn't the way. Isn't it nice, by it the way? It is. But, you know, there's a difference. I think, you know, I want to get into this, but, like, there's – I've used this example before, but there's a difference between, like, getting attention, people telling you you're great, and how you fill up. It feels like – it's, like, what equivalent to what love is. Right. But love is yeah. sustainable. And then the attention isn't right. It keeps coming in and out. Like, a yeah, yeah, I it comes about and goes. Right? right. So if you're banking all on that, my therapist said, that's because it's not about you. It's about your projects. And when your projects recede in time, as they all will and do. Yeah. Then you lose some of that focus and you're like, where is it? Where is it? Oh, it was never for you. It was for the projects. Right. <laughs> Go right, make right. another one. And if it's good, you'll you'll also see more of that stuff. Yeah. Come did you ever get caught up though? Did you ever get caught up in like? Uh, I'm no, Bob I think Odenkirk. I was too old to get caught for up for the big success. Yes, because you I really was, had like I look around. I, I, look, you had I a lot told of my kids when they were around eight or nine. I remember saying to my daughter, "I have the perfect amount of fame because occasionally a person, a Mister Show fan, usually mm. would see me and get." smiley and ask for my autograph and just tell me how much they love my work. And it was like, not every day, but depends where I was. Right. Jerry's deli. Yeah. City. You know, sure. somebody would, yeah, come out of the woodwork and it was just really fun. And I could even say that per, I, if you took a room full of people, I could go, that person knows me and that person knows me. And they have tattoos. They have a Mr. Show tattoo oh, on their right. neck. But, uh, but you know, you just know, and that's it. Now with Breaking Bad and all that stuff, then that was another level. And I uh, I can see how it would mess up a young person, right? If, yeah. a, if you were 26 and you were in a show that big, you would... I was 26 in right? Smallville. Hit. Tell yeah, me yeah. about it. Tell me about it. You hear the doorbell? Bob, do you hear the doorbell? Yeah, that's all right. Doorbells are okay on podcasts. So tell, tell, tell me about what my success or how it uh, happened. Uh, being young... And having that experience, because as an older person, you've seen friends go through it. I was a writer at Saturday Night Live, and uh, and you weirdly, weirdly, this is such a <laughs> the self hating, cynical part of me. Whenever I'd see a friend, an acquaintance have like massive fame, it would not so much uh, make me think oh, my friend has achieved something great, it would make me think, oh, anybody can be famous now. <laughs> because if they know me and I know them and they're famous, then, then it's nothing. It just doesn't make sense. And that's what? dumb. You said something a little while ago, and I and I feel like I've just never felt like I I belong necessarily. Like, I, I know I've had fame. I know I've had some great roles. I, I know that I've done well. But there's part of me that, like, a lot of times... I just don't feel, I feel like I'm still that kid from Indiana who's just trying to make everybody laugh. Where are you from in Indiana? In. Southern Indiana. I know you went to SIU. My buddy, Ethan, said go Salukis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went there. So I got to throw Ethan. Yeah, and I know Indiana a little bit because my cousins lived in Indianapolis and now my brother, Phil, lives in Indianapolis. And where'd you grow up? Uh, Nader, uh, uh, Naperville, N Illinois. Naperville. Mostly Naperville, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would occasionally go down to Indianapolis and even to Southern. I went once, I don't even remember who, but I was like in 
high school and a friend of mine was like, we're going down to my uncle's pig farm in Southern Illinois. Is, is, is it Bloomington? Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Bloomington, Indiana. I mean, yeah. And we went there and spent the weekend. Bloomington is nice. Yeah. They got the little five, right? I don't know the little five. Uh, Indiana university is in Bloomington. They got the little 500, Mm. the bike race. Do they have a farm hockey team? Uh, I'm sure they do. The city had a a farm league hockey team, professional farm league, you know, Mm. AAA or something. Sure. It wasn't Columbus, Indiana. It might've been Columbus. Could have been Columbus, Indiana. And I went to see the game. It was great. Uh, Anyway. um, So Indiana is where I I grew up. Yeah. Great. I love that part of the country. And I love that strip of, of Weather and all down there. Yeah, car- the seasons, man. It's fucking great. Yeah, Carbondale. Little I played hockey of, in Carbondale. A little bit of snow, but not. It just melts the next day. Do you and have good memories sweet. of growing up, like in the Midwest? Midwest, right? Is where yeah, you grew up. Yeah, I was very mixed, but yeah, pretty good. I'd say. I mean, you I mean, if loved... my dad wasn't a piece of shit, I would have really would have been great. Because I read about that, and you always. I mean, he at... wasn't. He didn't beat us, right, so that's right, right. good. And but he beat you with his words. Nah, he was just. Remote and uh, and fucked up and not around and and the tension and the tension emanating from that relationship and the his his uh, what was missing, uh, you know, it seeped through everything in our lives and we had a great. I, I love my brothers and sisters and we got along great and we loved each other and supported each other and laughed a lot and still do still are very close. And I'm from a family of seven kids. Um, but the tension coming out of that feeling of like, what the hell is going on? What I was mean, it? Was it argumentative with well, your it was mother? Money. Or was it... it was money. And it was also just, he wasn't around. Like, just I, have, not... I have seven, there's seven kids in the family. So your mom and I'm just took care oldest. of seven of you and you guys took yeah. care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. But like, how do you even have seven kids? You have to show up seven times. There have to be at least seven nights. Seven moments. Unless home. there's twins, six. But outside of those seven visits, I don't know how much. You know, the guy was not to be seen. You, never, you don't remember him playing ball with you? You don't he remember? Did. You, did, you remember those not things? Not much. Yeah. yeah he even gave you? me some advice once or twice that, that was. What okay. was the advice? Uh, crying doesn't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he said? And I remember looking at him, goes crying, and I went, no, oh, he's right. Do you cry much? Nothing's changed. No, but I cry more. Oh no, uh, no! I think it's just from just being a guy, and uh, <laughs> but I think getting older, you do a little bit what, more. What happened to me in the last two years? I'm like, really? I get emotional. I get emotional. I mean, with yeah, I don't know what it is, and it, but it feels good. It feels good when you're alone to let out a cry. It, it does. It feels good to be emotional. To feel like you have access to your emotions. When's yeah. the last time you got emotional? Oh man, hmm. I'd have to think about it for longer than the podcast wants to wait. But it, was, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, I alone, I, a breakdown alone, or with no, the wife? No, no. <sighs> what was it? I'll give you I, mine. I mean, I broke down at the end of Judy, movie Judy. Really? Yeah, I just lost it. I think there's you know, a bunch. That of- was a weird movie because I. Did not think the filmmaking was great. It wasn't a great movie, but, but she, she was, so, was good. so good. That's what it was. Holy And that crap, whole stuff, crazy. after 47 years old, you saw what she went through. She died at 47. 
and it was from pills and just I don't know what it was. It was just a combination of just you know, there's been some pill poppers in my family. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and just like uh, right, you know, last year I went to this wellness center and it was just I don't know it just and it was on New Year's Eve. I was just with my dogs. I didn't want to go out. I just sat at home. No reason other. I wasn't really depressed. I just watched Judy. I think my dad said it's really good. And then I put Judy on on New Year's Eve at about like nine o'clock, smoke a little J, and just Ball State University, just freaking unloaded with tears. Wow. I mean, it was an ugly cry. It was the ugliest cry I've done. No one should see that cry. That's a cry that would have won me an Oscar or a Razzie. <laughs> it wasn't good. It's funny, right? It could go either way. It could go either way. Have you had those breakdowns where you just break the hell down and then you're just like, you laugh at yourself? Because what are you doing? Uh, you're you're dr- 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 being dramatic, Bob. I don't know. I don't know if I've had that, but not for a long time. But yeah. Well, you seem grounded though. You're you're a grounded guy. I could tell. Am that. I? Yeah, you're mature. I don't think I've ever been mature. I think that's I'm responsible, but I'm not ma- the most mature person. Really? In the world. Yeah. Can you not look around you? Everything's autographed. Yeah. <laughs> that's I a good. That's pretty cool. No, it's I think fine. it's pretty cool. I love that jerk poster. Oh, yeah. I worked Signed with Steve. Signed by Steve. You know why I got What would you work on? I worked in a movie called Bring Down the House. I wore this horrible wig because I was bald from Smallville. But I remember uh, day one. Talk about making you feel good and comfortable. Like yeah. you, you have the ability to do. Steve just comes up to me and goes, so tell me about this Smallville. Oh, wow. And wow. I go, Whoa. That's and I, cool. the, you know, the second week on set, I brought him like a big thing of VHS tapes because that's what they oh, were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, thank you. Like he's going to yeah, watch it. Yeah. And then at the last day of filming, I rapped. And by the way, at lunch, he would come over to me and goes, well, is anyone sitting here? I go, no, you could. And he'd sit with me. He was just a great guy. And the yeah. last day I said, hey, man, could you sign my jerk poster? It's an original. I don't. He's like, of course. Coming to my trailer at lunch. Went in there. He's playing some banjo. Signed my jerk poster. Fantastic. I'll always have that's that the right best. there. Right? That's the best. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, hey, great working with you, Steve. Yeah, I wouldn't ask That'd be him a, to sign anything. Yeah. I'm going to get you by the end of this podcast to say there's one <laughs> guy you might. Oh, uh, no, that's a real good question. Um, years ago, I would have said Woody Allen would be the one person <laughs> right, I would right. want yeah. to sign something. And what movie? Oh, gee, uh, so many. Probably Zelig, though. Really? That was, that's yeah. your favorite? It's just kind of... It's become my favorite over time. Um, now, what if you met him? What would you say? I'd say, uh, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, like you're gonna get into it." Like, hey, this is just weird, know. man. I don't unacceptable. Know. <laughs> you know, I don't. How do you know how to feel about that mess? I don't know. What a mess! It's just a mess. It is a mess. Any way you turn, somebody's devastated. Right, it's it's that's absolutely true. You just stay away from that. Yeah, I can't do a goddamn thing about it, and I certainly can't know what happened uh, exactly. Right, and uh, so it's very hard, you know. But uh, it's just creepy and awful, and I just feel bad for every single person involved. Yeah. yeah. How do we get into this conversation? You asked me who I'd want to sign. I know, I know sign. how we got into it. Uh, I, you know, that's weird. I really realized that pretty quickly when I got a job as a writer on SNL. I was 25, and I remember thinking, I should, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be around these celebrities. Somehow that hadn't occurred to me until I got there. And then right away, I was like, oh, I don't care. 
<laughs> I don't care about any of these people. Really? But you know what I did? I did have a guitar, and I did get it signed by Neil Young, Keith Richards. Uh, Come on. Uh, uh, and you still have Elvis it? Elvis Costello. What? I do. Yeah. See, that's that's cool. That's cool because, you know, comedians and writers love musicians. Musicians love comedians right, and writers. Right, right, right. Yeah. Who's the biggest comedian out there that loves you? That you're like, Love wow. me? Like, yeah. David Cross. <laughs> David Cross, who your, your, your partner in crime. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I was thinking about those old days. I'm proud of the work that we did on Mr. Show. I know that a lot of young people who saw it, it kind of inspired them. And I'm, I'm, I understand why we worked really hard. Your, to, it was ahead of its time, for sure. In a lot of ways, it was ahead of its time. And we tried to um, really care about the writing and, and the structure of pieces and, and really do a kind of a pure... Uh, just just solid, strong comedy, and 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 I think people care about that for a few years in their lives, and as they grow up, and and if they go into show business, certainly comedy. But um, anyway, I think what what was I saying? Nothing. I, don't know. I feel great about that that we did it, and that people understand it and like it on that level. That I just did. I'm just curious how people like you know people always go, how did you get out of Indiana? How did you? I wasn't popular. I was the smallest kid hey, in my high school. I didn't know what I was. Did you do. see um, comedians in cars getting coffee? You watch that? I have seen it. Yeah. There's a great moment that I've thought about a lot in regards to exactly what I think we're talking about. Okay. It's Gary Shandling. Oh yeah, I think I did see it. Yeah, and they're walking through the lobby of the comedy store, and uh, and they're looking at their faces. You know the the headshots from years ago, and like, look at this and this guy. Remember this guy? Uh, and then Gary goes, and there I am. I mean, that was such, he says something like, it's such a big deal to get on here. I, I mean, just me, a kid from Arizona. And then Jerry like goes, what? Like laughs at him. Like, what do you mean kid from Arizona? We're all from somewhere. What does that even mean? And it's so interesting to see. I think most people are in the Gary Shandling category of like, Figuring uh, who it the out. hell am I? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm from nowhere. And then people like Seinfeld, like that is, that is a special brain of chemicals that goes, well, fuck yeah, I should be world famous. Why not? Anybody, everybody, well, you got to come from somewhere. That doesn't mean anything. Jeez, I wish I could like, think like wow, that. Wow, right? Wow, yeah. There's I've something never... great about it because sure. it's definitely enviable um, because it means that he didn't hold himself back from dreaming big you know, he also seems to have a real strong sense of what he can do and what he does well and what he doesn't do well. But most of all, it's that great thing of like, this guy has no chemical in his brain ever telling him that he might suck. Do you think that's just what you're born with? Or do you think you could be, you could get that? Is is a Seinfeld sort of that? I, that, I think you're kind of born with it. So or, you can't you, like achieve that. Like, I just want where I don't care and I belong here. I want to fight. I want to get to that point. Well, certainly I, there's I, people who think feel i think most people are some mix of like feeling like they don't deserve the attention and then fighting so hard to compensate for that and to argue against it that they put themselves out there and put themselves out there and desperately grab and reach for more attention and and to stay in the the public eye and um the person who is just naturally accepting uh and of their biggest dream and just pursues it because of course you should pursue that. That's my dream. Like, it doesn't question that or question their, 
the validity of that dream you know at what? all? I, I think that's it, amazing. Yeah. That's chemicals in the brain. That is nothing else. That is not earned. You can't make that happen. The person who doesn't have that has to wake up and meditate and tell themselves, <laughs> remember, you're a human being. You can do something in the world and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to have attention from people. And they have to fucking make themselves believe that. And uh, I don't know. Whatever you have is what you have. I, I, I think you, know, you made me think. I was thinking about college now. And I think I was, there was a fearlessness in me back then. There was a yeah. sort of, once it connected, once I grew, I was actually 5'11", 6 feet tall. I went from 5'2", smallest kid in my school. Really? To, to then being- You were 5'2", in what, what year? Senior year, 5'2", five, 5'3", five, smallest kid. Oh Couldn't get God. laid. You know, my brother Phil also grew later, later in life in high school. Did he have back problems too? No, he didn't yeah, have I back do. problems. But he it was hard for him because he loved soccer. But he did grow in high school and, and he did play through the whole thing. Right. Yeah. But, but for, he was very- uh, not not very big physically until um it's his story to tell I don't well mine was it. like a year like a, a, the next year i grew so i started to be like oh wow girls are sort of interested in me so this thing happened but i remember once i found that thing and i was like they're like oh you're good at this and once i started going and getting that confidence which was hard and i was always in fight or flight i think i've been in fight or fight my whole life yeah my whole life once I hit this place, then they go, I remember I go, I, maybe I should go to grad school and study more theater. My, my, I remember my mentor goes, you're ready. Go to New York. I go, why? Wow. And I, I'm telling you, people were like, do you know the odds of making it? I, I'm, I remember the way I was programmed. I go, doesn't matter. I'm going to make it. I wow. remember not wow. caring. When they said those numbers, like, I can't wait. I can't wait. to. I know what's going to happen. I remember saying to my friend Alexis Combs, I said, Alexis, we're sitting there on the porch. And I go, I'm going to make it. This is, but here's the change is coming. I'm going to tell you the change because it's not. I said, I'm going to go like, I'm, you knew what podcasts were at the time. time You knew (laughs) that there will be podcasts. There will be a podcast and I will, it will be, (laughs) I said to her, I said, I'm going to New York and I'm going to make it. And it's going to happen pretty fast. I know it. Just remember this conversation. I remember saying, remember this conversation. This isn't me dreaming. This isn't me being full of shit. I just know it. And then I went and, I, I busted my ass for a little while. You know, I always busted my ass, but then things started happening wow. within like two years, wow. three years, boom, out to LA. And did you now, call your friend and go, fuck you. She's been you t- owe me a hundred dollars now. She listens. To- <laughs> we actually didn't. And she was I like, I bet. never bet you. Who I never said bet? you wouldn't. I what? Who are? Fuck you. Fuck you. No. Yeah. I didn't say no to that. When you said that, let's lose. No, just but the way me. you looked at me, fuck you. You owe me. I don't you know what I was getting at. But she, we actually were texting because she was listening to the podcast, and she's like, "Rosie, I didn't know all these things about you and how you, you know, you have these issues." And uh-huh. and she, she just texted me like two days ago. It's wow. funny we're talking about her. But I went anyway. Long story short, get me out to L.A. doing movies, TV, and all of a sudden, I hit around forty. And it's not. I don't know what it is, but everything's changing. I well, don't know. one thing that's changed is that you actually did it, and that, and you did it a lot. You you got into cool shows and movies and you did them and you did more of them and more of them. And that's, that's where you start to, <laughs> that's where rich people, there's always rich people talking about meditation and Buddhism and shit. And they're like so wealthy. And I know people in the Midwest, people like in the Midwest, talking about. I know, but the point is, tell me the, the people point. in the Midwest are like, 
Yeah, fuck, you got nothing to do all day, so you can sit on your hands and stare into space. <laughs> but the but the what's really going on is is well, they got everything they wanted, a lot of it, and they started to realize like, oh well, I still feel crazy and nuts, and nothing makes me. I'm still not very happy. And so then they have to look somewhere else for it. And that's all that's really happening. Right. But like, I'm but, not, but, but you, but it's great to achieve. It is a wonderful thing to dream of something and want it and then actually get to experience it. Oh my it. God. It is the greatest nothing thing, like it. but it will leave you feeling like, Oh, what? It's actually not enough. It's great. And I'm thankful, but obviously that actually, I thought that was going to be all that I wanted. But it's actually not. But I'm weird. But it can fill you up an awful lot. It I really can. And if you're smart, you'll accept it and be thankful and oh yes. and, and, and have some perspective on it. This is what I'm trying to say. I am incredibly grateful and really becoming the man I've always wanted to be or not sure I was. You're looking at me. How dare you when I'm talking so about something funny. so profound yeah. or not. I'm kidding. But I think... I, I I am not, I don't have better call Saul money. I don't have Breaking Bad money. I don't have De Niro money. I'm not that guy. I'm not like the, you. I have a nice, I have a nice house. I'm fine. I, I'm i very grateful, but well, I'm not like what you said. I, I know, but what does that even no, mean? No, no, I what mean, I'm trying to say is, is why thing. is this, is this, it's okay if this is just enough. This is more than enough. Yes. I, even though I said, oh, I'm going to go do this, but, but to actually be sitting and having a house, yeah. but being single, there are a lot of other, there are issues. You're not remotely done. I'm not remotely done, but I'm really trying to find that next chapter because sometimes you do things because, oh, that's my money maimer. Maimer. That's my money maimer. My money maimer. My maimer. (laughs) It's my money maimer. I need to maim my money. Or people just say, well, you're good. You should do that. And your agent's like, well, dude, you should be doing this. And I'm like, oh, okay. And you do what other people say and you kind of, and you may. But then where do you kind of go, hey, I just, you know, I just want to keep doing, finding out what really makes me tick. I don't want to go back to. You store, stay in, stay in the course for, for what, what you really want or what maybe you're really destined to be. I don't know what that is. I don't know if, that, if I want to really do acting as Are much. Are you saying that you had a big told dream? told you this is therapy. I Are you saying you had you a that. big dream? I think it's great. I love it. Are you saying that you had a big dream and then you're wondering if another dream can come in that is, is as big and can drive you as hard Yes, and I'm also saying because the is dream, that dream really what I really wanted deep down. Now that, that I'm now that I'm finding myself and who I really am, obviously I'm grateful for all of it. But I'm like, well, is this what you really love to love to do? I mean, you know, uh, or is there some like helping people? I in the last year I've um, hands on. I've been just doing more charity and yeah. going. Like you and I go to Food on Foot, yeah. which is one yeah. of the best organizations I think around for yeah. homelessness and and you know. Uh, I love it. And I love going there on Sundays and I love being a, a club member. Yeah. Guys go to foodonfoot.org. Um, it's amazing. You'll learn all about it. But, um, you know, I love going to the Ronald Donald house. I love doing these things. They make me feel like I have purpose. Like I'm, you know, I'm going in some kid who just wants to live, who wants to have this life. And I've talked about this ad nauseum, but just to make him smile, just to make him forget about his life for a while or his yeah. problems. And, to be there and to like, you know, I'm going that tomorrow. I'm taking a two hour drive to go visit my buddy Preston. who has yeah. got cancer. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to hang with his family for the night. And I'm like, I'm excited about that. 
I get a little emotional thinking about it. Yeah. And like, that's awesome. It doesn't mean I can't, you know, but like, I like doing the podcast. I like doing charity. I like, if it's the right thing, I like acting, I like writing. I just, I'm still trying to, I mean, like shambling. That's what made me go, oh my God. Well, look, Gary spent so many years searching for I mean, yeah, who he was and what motivated him and whether it was good or something better. And gosh, he struggled. <laughs> he did. Do you struggle or do you like, hey man, you've got it. Like you've, you know, you got the wife, you got the kids, you got the success and you, you're pretty like, hey, I'm happy. I get it. Gosh, everybody struggles, don't they? What do you struggle with though? Uh, balancing, balancing yeah, work sure. with your family, balancing it and, and asking yourself, um, what shit, what can I do to, I mean, we're all obsessed with the news. And one aspect of that is you, you want to make the world a better place. You want to make it better tomorrow. What can we do? What can we do about these problems? And so there's a natural inclination some people would probably say that the last thing you should be looking at is the news i know (laughs) because all it does is present problems to you that you cannot fix in any direct way um uh but um what do i struggle with um it's gotta be something you gotta have a probably a temper (laughs) i i have a temper I, i punched the printer today that's so funny. My buddy last night punched his printer. I swear to God, his printer serious? broke. He just bought it like eight months ago. He goes, well, this fucking thing ain't broke. He just hit it for... It just doesn't work when it doesn't want to. Literally, this is how I work this fucking printer that's only a year old. It doesn't print. I go over to it. I press every button eight times. I just press them all, and then I wait, and then it prints. And then today, it wouldn't do it, even though I pressed every button. Was that the first time you hit it? No, I... Yes, that was the first time I punched it. Do you feel bad? No, I mean, part of me was like, fuck you. I get to hit you if you won't work. Right. Did anyone hear you hit the printer? No. Well, the dog did, but the dog was... <laughs> but <laughs> It's embarrassing. I no, should it's be embarrassed. not. Why don't but people, people do these things? There, she'd be so mad at me. What would she say? What, what would she say exactly? She would be so... She would look at me like... What, you've lost your mind. Yeah, you're dangerous. <laughs> You're a printer hitter. <laughs> She'd look at me like, you're dangerous. And I'd be like, what? Fuck this machine. I can hit it. <laughs> Fuck it. I bought it. I can do whatever this I want This is between to. you and me. This is between me and the printer. But of course, that kind of rage is... You know Hewlett Packard? I do. It's not okay. It's What do you mean it's not okay? It's well, not okay to I hit mean, a printer? It's not really okay to hit a printer, but it's especially not okay to do it in front of other people. Right, you don't hit. Because then you're involving them. Anything you do in front right, of other people uncomfortable. involves other people. Right. And There's if your kids saw you, you lose your mind. If you're on the fucking phone talking loud, I'm in your conversation. I get to talk. Yeah. That's my theory on standing next to some asshole who's like, tell that fucker to fuck off. And what do you I, say to a guy I'm, in a plane when he's sitting behind you? Like, well, I'm I don't like, care. I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to tell him that. Let's talk about this. Do you say that? I would if it went on long enough, I would. And I have to be careful because I am kind of famous. Yeah. So, but I still think about myself as not famous. So I think, fuck that guy. He's involved me in his conversation. I can hear what he's saying. He clearly wants me to hear it. He can see me standing right here. He wants people to know how. I should pitch in. How important he is. No, no. I'm part of the conversation. You included me. And uh, that's kind of, isn't that the case? I mean, if I do anything big enough, loud enough in front of you, I'm 
Now, I'm, what if you I'm say something? What if, for instance, you turn around in your in your seat in in, in row two A, it's an aisle, and you look at him and you say, "Hey, I'm not here." Yeah, Shh, I'm, not here, I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. Right, and then he goes, "Fuck you." Then what do you do? Yeah, that's the problem. Don't include me. Just pretend hey. "fuck you" means I'm not going to tell. That's him saying "fuck you." I'm going to tell him you're here. <laughs> that's right. You know what scares me is like, not scares me, but I get nervous watching it. When I watch you, I feel like your part's so difficult because you're always on your toes playing Saul and playing. It's just like you have so many lines. I do. And that always scares me as an actor. And yeah. people always go, you always talk about lines on this podcast. Yeah. I'm like, yes, because especially it's yours. hard as shit. The, the first Sometimes. and Breaking Bad, when you first got those four episodes and you couldn't yeah. do the fourth one because you had some, you had uh, How, I met, your how I met Your Mother. And then the fourth one, they hired Mike, yep. uh, Jonathan. Uh, to, to do that story Banks. point. And right. Created that character. Created that character. So he owes you. 10% of his money he or, or so I owe I, him. what I'm saying is the first thing you said in this interview, I saw, but you never finished it. You go and they had all these lines and I'm like, Oh, they're going to cut them because it's comedy or whatever. They didn't cut them. They didn't cut a fucking thing. They cut one word. They didn't cut. They changed one word. Uh, they literally, I was like, I wasn't even going to memorize it because you know, comedy, I mean, comedy gets cut down into nothing mm-hmm. or to, you know, it to what you need. That's it. And, uh, I also hadn't read it closely enough to see what was going on in all that dialogue. I kind of summarized it in my head. Like he's telling him I'll be your lawyer and I'm a liar and all this shit. And you could just cut it down to those lines, you know? And then I got the rewrites. I got the blue pages, which was about four days before we were shooting. And how much dialogue was this? Uh, I'd say it was a good solid two pages, two pages of dialogue. Maybe it was a page and a half solid. But you weren't nervous. I was a little nervous. You are nervous. Yeah, there's a lot. It was more dialogue. And that was just one. There was more than that. But at one point, there was a page and a half run of just me talking. And, and do you always and, fear? My biggest fear is when I, I go faster. faster you're you're not even used to seeing that in comedy. I've rarely seen a comedy script that was one person talking for a page oh, and a God. half. Oh, God. Yeah. It's usually back and forth and, and stuff. So, right. um so one word was changed and uh, I dug in and, and I had no tools to learn that except what I think what I learned from writing, which is to break it down to the story at the, the core of it that I'm telling and the bullet points of that and then build back out from there. Do you write the lines down? Does it help you memorize? Um, you sometimes I guy? do. So you'll say, but you'll what, look at I know them and what just I do copy is this, them. On the page. Yep. Now I've done this for a couple of years now and I'm better at it. And, and one thing that's true, and I think, see what you think about this, but usually about two weeks into a season, I, my brain just starts getting better at this. It's just a bit of a muscle in your brain. Yeah. And the, so more, you you, yourself a the break. more you do it, the better you, quicker you get at it. You're right. kind of amazing. So the first episode, give yourself a break. You might be the be, hardest it, one. It, right. And then once you get going, it's going to get better. Yeah. It's going to get easier. Yeah. I, I, I have that. a lot of confidence in myself to do this now, but on one side of the, one side of the script is the specific words and phrases doing, you know, the highlighting points as I go, the things that I think matter. And on the other side of the script is the emotions and maybe the subtext. Highlighting points mean like, um, like words, like a a word that sticks out as I go, uh, like that really stand out to me that give me those, um, 
break so that that the, your that memory moment. clicks into yeah. it. And the other side is the undercurrent of emotion or um, thrust of what I'm saying, the kind of more general drive of the scene. Like you're a little annoyed and, and that, here. That, that this guy's fucking me. you over. Yeah, and and a lot of times Saul, in particular, a scene with Saul, he's he's conning someone, so his words are a diversion in some weird way or a kind of a subterfuge. And on the right side will be, you know, what that subterfuge is, is actually meant to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that, and then, and then it's just work it. You don't ever record it. it on yeah. A I record the other person's side. So you could deliver it and give a space in between. I, yeah. 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 And I'm pretty good at that. And you do that in the car or just uh, in I the try plane. not to do it in the car. Cause I mean, if I'm driving, it's, it's distracting. Too distracting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we do a lot of rehearsal on Saul. And uh, in fact, wow. in Albuquerque, uh, the cast, we share a house. Um, I heard about that. And Who we, is it? we work Ray Seahorn, Patrick Fabian. Uh, when he's in town, um, Josh Fadum. Um, Isn't it your house that you bought? Yeah. My wife and I bought a house. But before that, we rented a house together, the three of us, Ray and Patrick and me. I, I, I've never heard of that. That people want to. I, I can't believe thing, the last thing people want to do when they work together. I, when I did Smallville, when I do other shows, I love them. I'm on set with them all day. I'm like, I love you. Fuck off. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're going you, home with these people. I know, but <laughs> I know, but it's better than being alone out there. I think we all feel that way. That's my I whole think life. We're pretty yeah. great at leaving each other alone too. Yeah, you know, and and we're not in every scene together. And, uh, and I leave, People I travel. come, I come home as much as possible. So, and you know, it's, I love getting home and somebody's Patrick, especially will make dinner for everybody. An energy. There's yeah. an energy. Or he's like, I'm, I'm going hiking. Let's go. We're because going you anymore. know what? If you're alone, Bob, you'll probably get in your head a little, won't you? Yeah. I would get in my head. I go home alone. I'm alone. What am I going to do? Maybe I should learn my lines. Maybe I should do this. There's almost pressure. You're like yeah. worrying too much now. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. an energy. Someone's cooking. Someone's yeah. watching this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's kind Maybe of that's a... why I don't like being alone. I always like people around. Well, that's good. Is that's it? perfectly fine. I think you should be able to be alone. Yeah. I can that's do that. That's a goal. As long as I'm life. cleaning or yeah. organizing. I'm pretty good at being alone. Are you? Uh-huh. How long can you be alone? A long time. <laughs> not with a printer obviously that was don't a leave me alone that was a, a low blow dude yeah because one of us won't walk out of there <laughs> <laughs> tell me this <laughs> tell me that vince gilligan when they write the lines that those are the lines they don't change them on you uh i try not to change a single word i mean changing your dialogue when you're about to shoot oh yeah they don't change it See, that's a blessing. There's nothing worse than going and have all these I've dialogue. I've heard about this. I've never experienced it I'll, myself. I'll tell people, fuck off. I can't do it. I've I just heard can't about do it. this. It's crazy to me. Shows where they show up on the day of shooting and go, throw out that scene. Here's a new scene. No. Nope. No, we don't do anything can't. remotely like God, that. We have in. the scene in stone five days before, sometimes three days before, but oftentimes a week and a half before. And when do you rehearse? On the day? Oh, no. We rehearse all leading up. To, wait a minute, we were, wait a minute. We this is unheard two weeks of. You rehearsed before. for two weeks. I get it. As, as soon as we have a script, I want it. Um, We start rehearsing. I've, if I have a big scene, I start rehearsing that day, if it's two weeks away. I live in a house with Patrick and Ray and Josh, maybe, and Mando comes over and 
Banks will even come over and you run it. And, and we run the scene, a scene that I'm in, or maybe I'll run a scene with you that you're in. We rehearse the shit out of that show. And then if I can, I'll go to the fucking set when they're not there. Walk around it. And I'll do the scene. Dude, I love that. Yeah. Because that's sort of what I would probably, that's, I've done that where Part I show of that up. Is because we only have nine days to shoot an episode. And to shoot that kind of dialogue heavy show, 50 pages, 55 pages. Yeah. In nine days, you can't do it if people show up and don't know their lines. And the other reason we need to learn our lines is they matter. Um, Like literally there'll be some little weird thing buried in the middle of your line that looks like nothing, but then poignant a year later is like, remember when he said this small thing, that's why I killed him. You know, like every word, Almost every word. Occasionally I'll call them, especially if there's comedy with my character, uh, sometimes has scenes that are almost pure comedy. And then they have a lot of flexibility there. They also give me a lot of uh, room to mess around. I'll come to them and go, this is clearly a funny thing. Can I do this and this? And they'll give me a lot of freedom. Most of what's written in Better Call Saul, and it was true of Breaking Bad, is like, like no no that's that word for a reason that's there. because the other word doesn't work because it. you don't know because three weeks from now you're going to get a script and you'll see that because he said it that way it shows that he doesn't really know who he's talking to and he doesn't really know what's going on and if you said it the other way then it wouldn't be the same meaning and right. so they've thought about every way word. ahead of time now but you said you, you need the time to learn lines but you're talking about rehearsing two weeks before an episode but aren't you going right into another episode? Even even at the end of the season, when they get backed up on writing, you're still gonna you're still gonna get that script five days. Before so you still have shooting. five days, but yeah. you're still shooting the other ones. Yeah. So during the day, when you already know stuff, you'll run it. Yeah. You'll do that. You'll do yeah. after yeah, yeah, work because yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of time. Yeah. So you're exhausted. You're, you're, you're working you're all exa- the time. You're exhausted. You're you, working. Have all you the ever time. hit a wall where you're like, yes, I, 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 I in can't the get- first season. In the first season, well, first of all, I was in every scene. Except for one episode I wasn't in at all. But in every other thing, I was in every scene. It was fucking nuts. Did you complain? I Listen, I approached this whole thing like, oh, I guess I'll just have more lines. It's the same job, acting. I'm not going to pretend it's different. Oh, boy. And, well, I was deluding myself a little bit. <laughs> Compartmentalizing and, and deluding myself. But... Um, then, you know, it was just a fuckload of, of words. And I just dug in and got to it and got to it and gave it up my all. And they kept pushing my call and people don't know what that means, but they, they just kept, kept pushing is if he has to wake up at eight, like, you know, they're working later in the night. So the next day they push it from eight to 9am to 10am. And they just kept pushing my call. Like, they, and, and they would also say, well, you, uh, which hey, basically we, means you're not getting enough sleep and never. you also don't have time to rehearse, which I said we do. And I was used to doing for Breaking Bad and wanted to carry on in Better Call right. Saul. And, and you're doing 12 hour days too, right? And you're doing 12 hour, 14 so, hour days. So your 12 round turnaround, it's called the 12, like a turnaround. Sometimes they'd say, Hey, do you mind if we force you? So the crew doesn't have to do this. And they would say, do you mind if we force you? Do you mind if we force you? Do you mind if we force you? And I would sign it every time. And I'd you're go, like, I can't fine. anymore. I was so thankful that, that we were making this show and I, I didn't want anyone to have any problem because of me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll just work harder. Ugh. I kept asking uh, the AD, like, can I can I say no? Because they would always say <laughs> this was the real shitty thing. Is they would never say you don't have to do this. They didn't. No, they would always say, uh, "Hey, uh, we need you to we need to force your call." 
So we we need to do it for blah 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 blah. And then they look at me, and I'd be like, "What? No compassion." Well, no, like, okay, you need. We'll do it, I guess. Like, in it's other words, they would, they would. I know That's they fucked. would never present it to me that way. Wow. It was like we need to, and it's like I think you're just informing me of what you need to do. Right. Let me ask I, you, Bob. I, if I would have said, all right, well, you don't have to tell me that. Even why do you even right. have to tell me that? The way you're talking is so weird. You don't have to tell me that. Just give me the sheet that says I have to wake up earlier. And then uh, a couple weeks into that, and I was getting really fatigued, and I lost my voice. And um, and uh, I was like, can I – are you asking me or are you telling me? And then even when I'd say that question, they would go, well, it's just that we can't make – they wouldn't answer the question. Mm. It was driving me fucking crazy. I've never seen that, yeah. And then finally – I found an AD. This is like week six or seven, an episode like five, where they were going to force the weekend call. That's your only time to rest. And like prepare. in other words, we were shooting till around seven a.m. on Saturday morning. Right, Friday into Saturday. Friday 7 starting, starting to 7 Friday at like six p.m. We shot until Saturday at seven a.m. So you really have barely a day. And then Monday we start at five thirty a.m. I hope you fired this first AD. So we need to force your call, the weekend call. You can't have your 36 hours. That's when you put your foot down. That was the point where I said, can I say no? And this person looked at me and said, I think the crew would really appreciate it if you said no. Wow. Because the crew's dying too. They're fucking dying. They're fucking slaving. And they must fucking... think I'm an asshole for saying is... yes to this over, over and over and over. And Do I'm you... like, I thought I had to say yes. You didn't even offer it to me as a question. And so I said, well, fucking no then. And then I got on top of it. From that point on, I was no, like, oh, no. okay, hold on a second. And then that same next week, you know, the job of a producer in this business is to shoot as much as possible in as little time as possible. The the save line money. producers to save money. So that's their job. They're doing their job if your back is against the wall. Right. Then they are doing their job. But if you can't do a good job because they've jammed too much in, then they're not doing their job. That's well. so they gotta find that line, right? Yeah. And these producers had not yet found that line. So it was a Monday, I shot my stuff. I looked at my script. I had already had a couple of conversations where I said, you guys have to give me time to, to do these things well, to learn them. I'm, I'm going to give, give it my all, but you got to give me time. And uh, I looked at my script and I had 30 pages of dialogue for the next four days. And you didn't know it. And you know, Saul talks. If, oh. he, if I have a page of dialogue with Jimmy McGill, Saul, he's talking for three quarters of that page. It's not just a normal character who might have uh, two lines on a page. He has five lines That's or uh, five breaks and and fifteen lines or more every every page. Anxiety attack. He talks a lot. How did you not have an anxiety attack? When I you- did. I was all fucked up. I was all fucked up. I didn't even realize it. And you know, we were talking about dogs out here. Oh my god! <laughs> that first year I was shooting Saul, I got home and my wife and daughter had picked out a fucking awesome dog that I love so much, named Olive. And I just spent the next four months, every day, all day, hanging around with that dog. Saved you. It saved me. I had no idea what dogs do for you, can do for you. And you can read about it. I know. I know there's been like studies on it and shit. But, oh, my God. 
I was with that dog all the time after that first season and still I do hang out with her all I can, but Oh my God, she, she just was like uh medicine, wow. you know, for the, the degree of stress and kind of uh, tension that I kind of made my way through. My dog, uh, Blanche. So every time I'm writing and I'm up at night late, yeah. she'll, she won't take, she won't have it. After a while, she will jump on me with her paws right. and you look at this cute little face and it completely saves me. I yeah. just hug her and take 10 or 15 minutes to just hang out and go, you're right. What am I doing? Yeah. You're my life. Blanche. <laughs> Sometimes you're when I'd life. be writing, I'd be like, I'd get mad. Motherfucker. I'd hit something. My dog will run right over to me and put her paws up. What on is my, it? What? What's that? What happened? I love you. And I'm like, I, I'm not mad at you. I'm not, I'm just mad at my brain. It's not, don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay, bud. Yeah. Nah. You're reminded of like, calm down. You know, I want to ask you this. Uh, did things just quickly, did things get better when you became a success? And you're like, all right, here's the deal. I'm not getting forced. I want a week off every three weeks to kind of regroup. You did, know, it's weird. It's any- like the overcompensation went the other way on the part of the producers. They would just be so freaked out and now we're at a place where i go like do you guys need to force my call because it's okay i really I, i'm rested up yeah i i hear i oh you know you overhear them talking about shit we're getting late and well how are we gonna make tomorrow and like i'll be like well i i don't need i can get here in time don't worry and I, so now it's gotten to the other side where just to ask me right and i'll tell you honestly don't be afraid to ask me but also, when I say no, just say okay. Thanks for no, no, whatever. Now it's so it. dumb. Actors, future actors. That's <laughs> that whole last half hour is only for you. And I'm sorry for everyone else. Now do the impression don't. of Mike uh, with Jonathan Banks. Do an impression of him being asked yeah. to get Forrest call. Can't do it. What do you mean? We we need to do it tomorrow. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm fucking tired. I'm fucking tired. Actually, he'd probably say yes because he'd bitch, but then he'd say yes. Is he one of those but you guys? know why? Because he can do it. Because he's just a fucking tank he's, who can just. Yeah, I love do watching it. that guy. He can, it, he can do. He's just one of these guys. One of these great <laughs> lifetime actors who's just spent his whole life acting the shit out of everything. A director's timid around him. Do I give him direction? Uh, could you meet? Well, they, you want to fuck with? They should be. Because he'll bite you down. He will? Have you seen it? Oh, many times. Have you ever said, hey, Jonathan, you know. I'm saying the lies. That's the way it's coming out. <laughs> like, what? A, you know, he. <laughs> I know. I'll fucking get it right. Because he's frustrated himself. That's what he's I frustrated do. Like, with himself. I go, God, what's the fucking thing? But also. I know. He has less of uh, purity uh, towards the lines than I do now. Partly that might be because his character is kind of um, more straightforward than Saul. So a lot of times my lines are written in a weird, circuitous way that on the surface maybe it just needs to be said that weird way. Right. Whereas his lines, you could change him up a little and it wouldn't change anything. He's telling people to fuck off and this is the way it's going. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that or whatever. Yeah. He's, he's he's a straightforward character and and you have there's it's not as hard to uh, change those lines a bit. 
You're colorblind. I am. So am I. Uh, I. I don't. I don't know. Blue, green, orange, shit like yeah. that. Yeah. Were you the same kid? See, I didn't find out because I failed art class. I got paddled. I was called dumb. I thought I just had a learning uh-huh. disability, which I probably did. But I didn't find out till uh, freshman year of high school when I was in Mr. Irwin's biology class. And Dusky right out sitting next to me. And I go, hey, uh, they go, oh, turn to page 78. If you don't see a sailboat in a number nine uh, in the circles, call them, uh, come up to class. You're colorblind. I go, Dusky, I don't, I don't see it. Michael Rosenbaum's colorblind. You fucking bitch. Tell her. What's the, what does it matter? Well, I didn't know. I thought, I mean, to me as a child, a 14 year old boy, yeah. colorblind. Oh, I thought it was kind of neat. <laughs> neat. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have, this is a learning disability. This is a disability. Something's wrong oh, with me. I it's another perce- thing yeah. that's wrong with uh, me. I don't yeah, have yeah. hair on my balls and now I'm colorblind. I had a hair on my balls and still See, do. there you go. Um, but, um, I don't know, uh. It's embarrassing when you don't know colors. You know, I, I, I my, didn't feel that way. My dad, I remember we're getting tennis. I thought it was neat because I thought it was neat that you looked at the thing and you're like, God, I can't see it. That's so weird. That's kind of amazing. Do you, when you see a traffic light, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's the bottom one? You know, it's green, but what do you see? White. Well, it's not. Yes, it's white. Right? Yes, it's, it's white. white. Yes. People don't it, understand that. Yeah, it's white. But how green is it? I mean, I guess my my question would be: Is it really green at all? Grass, or just slightly green. I know grass is supposed to be yes, green. Grass is yeah. kind of orangey. Blue is that? I know the sky's blue. I can't dress myself. My assistant Jess is like, you know, that's purple. I'm like, that's that's blue. I can't dress myself because I don't care enough to pay attention. But if I do pay attention, I do okay. Okay, still not great. Do you question the costume designer? Sometimes, they, they, I, I, if I'm going to a, an event. Uh, I will sometimes put something together every time and I will go to my wife or somebody who's there and say, how's this? Is this okay? And I'll get some, my, my, uh, publicity person is very helpful in that way. And I'll bring an option to wear if it's like a talk show. Say we always have to bring so options that, in yeah, case. Yeah, because they might go, what the what are you, what are you fuck doing? do you think you're doing? My shoes? I don't know if like, oh, can I wear brown with that? I don't. Yeah. Is it? I, it all looks okay to me. I wear things and she's like, oh my God, what do you know? Does it ever feel weird to you the degree to which you can be an outrageous dresser? So for instance, uh, do you know who Billy Porter is? Yeah. He's on Pose. No, no, no. Wrong Porter. Uh, do you know Billy Porter? Yeah. Great hi, Ryan. Welcome to the conversation. Hi. No, it was the it was the Grammys who wore that hat with the, the blinds on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that yeah. Guy. yeah, no, yeah. Billy is a great yeah. actor and a really nice person. I got to do an interview scenario with him, and he's just awesome. I mean, he's you got to get him in here. He's yeah? fucking great. Yeah. And he's got stories because success came to him later, and it, he earned it so hard. And... uh and just a great guy, really likable person. And what were you saying about colorblind? There's something. No, to do I was that. just saying. I'm asking you because we're talking about getting dressed for shit, and like <laughs> oh, he wears okay. like big hats and <laughs> oh, dresses. Oh, okay, I got you. And I got you. Like you and I, bland as hell. Right, but jeans. But it, but the fact is, we couldn't do that. Not just because no. we have no sense of it, but like if you were, let's say you had a PR person who's like, we're gonna make. You are going to get your picture in Variety at the at the Emmys this year because we're going to dress you so that it's worth fucking p- printing. Okay. If you wear a black tuxedo, there's no point in putting that picture in the paper. 
it's your fucking head, which we've seen. Right. And a black tuxedo, which we've all seen. So there's no point in publishing your picture. There's nothing about it. You can just list at your name that you were there and we know what that would look like. Right. Right. But let's say your publicist said to you, you're going to wear a dress. Men are wearing dresses now. Sure. I'll you're going to wear it. a dress with a big, crazy hat. You, you couldn't do it because no one would go, oh, that's cool. Wow. Look what he wore. He really made us. He really made an entrance. <laughs> They'd be like, what the fuck? Who are you? Even though they don't really know you well enough to right. decide that that doesn't mean anything to you in the same way it might mean something to Billy or, or anyone else. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, what's funny. So what's that about? I don't know. What's going on there? I don't know. And I, I just, I just can't compete with that. I think it's a I, I subject just, for Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think we found a, a good, I uh, think that what you were on, of a course, a good plot for, for Larry David. Um, <laughs> you know, the, about four months ago, they did some article on me and then they go, Hey, and they, I came there and he had this suit and it was like tweed and like this different colors. And really? I go, and I go, does this really look good? And they're like, yeah, you look great. So I said, fuck it. I'll do it. Yeah. And they took pictures of me. I couldn't believe I posted a picture of me in this cool suit for the first time. Dude, you fucking need to dress like this all the time. So people like you it. You look great. Yeah. I can't wear suits every day. I can't look yeah, like yeah, that every yeah. day. It's just... I'm so comfortable in a look at me. Yeah, I, don't yeah, even, yeah. I don't even know what the hell this is. I'm Here's what I think. Comfortable. Here's what I think. Go, go ahead. Think. Thanks. We are lazy and Absolutely. we don't really give a shit. Not about that. Right. right. But why shouldn't we do make a little effort? We don't need to go as far as Billy, but why don't we just go? The nicer shirt costs three times what our shirt costs, but we can afford that. Maybe four. We can afford it. So fucking your picture's being taken. Put something on that's cool to look at okay. for me, for the audience, I, I agree. for the people. I agree. But what I would need is to for somebody. To tell you it actually. I would say I need you to put Monday through Sunday from socks and yeah, underwear to shoes, no, everything together. It's automatically it's not It's just worth there. It. I'm going to go take it off the it's rack and wear it. it. Not worth it. Because Garanimals. Garanimals. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember I that? I do remember. Why do I remember Garanimals? I was actually... It was in the 80s? It was like a thing where it was clothes that. for little kids where... Garanimals. Uh, they're, you know, if you, if, you, if you had a shirt that had a little zebra on a tag, then you it, you wore it with... Wasn't there a song? I don't know. You wore it with pants that also had a zebra on the tag, and then you knew they went together. There's got to be a song. So Find guys, the song, right? They got to bring that back. Garanimals. For middle-aged white guys. Garanimals. You think I, we'd work well? I think you and I be great spokesmen for it. I think so. Look it up, Ryan. I need a sponsor. Uh, Let's bring hey, it back. I got to get into this because I thought I was going to talk to you about this more. Uh, Chris Farley, my favorite comedian of all time. No one makes me laugh. I will argue to anybody. People go, oh, Belushi, this. I, I don't think you put Farley in the same room as any of these guys. There's nobody that makes me laugh as hard as possible with almost everything he does. And the so best funny. fucking thing, and nobody probably knows this, except if you're in the industry, is you created motivational speaker, Matt Foley. Well, actually, a lot of people know it, well, but thank you. Well, no, I think uh, a lot of people in the industry know it. Yeah, but I don't know it's if been, everybody listens to my podcast. It's been yammered about a lot. And I, and I okay. look, the truth is, I, I am really proud of it because I did write it pretty much exactly the way he performed it. And I wrote it alone in my apartment in Chicago. And Chris had done a version of the character 
uh, in an improv like the night before, but none of the story of the script or none of nothing. He was none of that shit was in there. You know, I'd seen a version of the character, and the and it's such a performance heavy thing. So I'll share credit on inventing the thing because he did that a version of that character, and that inspired my brain. So your so, brain wrote, you create the, well, the, the story of it, the, the scenario, it was all me. Lives in a van but, down but by the river. this guy, I mean, he, it was the greatest thing I ever was a part of, I think. Just pure, simple one thing. Um, my daughter once asked me, what's the best thing you ever did? And I said, doing that, writing that scene and doing it eight times a week at, at Second City. Because like you, I feel like there was nothing greater than seeing Chris be funny and act. And uh, and I was on stage with him because I played the dad in yeah. the scene. And so to have him do that right in front of you every night. And by the way, different every night, a little different every night. Every single night, he would not quit until he made you laugh. Until he made everyone on stage laugh and the audience came along. And uh, boy... I'll never forget it. It was the greatest thing. And when when it was happening, you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever, I'll ever do. (laughs) Yeah. Even, you know, I'm glad you said that because I think it's like, if I'm in a bad mood, I know that I put that best of SNL Chris Farley on Uh and I watch the motivational speaker. I watch and I memorize that whole thing. I, 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 you know, I was like, I am a skinny Farley. I would, and I got a chance to hang out. I was good friends with Kevin and Johnny. I got to Uh hang out with Chris. I got to really, you know, and I I was just, when when he passed, I was just, as were many, but. I I write about him a lot in my memoir, which is coming out in about a year and a half. And I'm sorry. Will you come back right before it comes out? Sure. Yes. Got him on film. say yes to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I I write about him a lot. Because what is it? What is it you write? What is it that you is? It, is it emotional when you write it? Well, some of it is. I don't know. Some of it's kind of sad, and uh, I don't know how you felt about it. But you say you knew him, or you you got to be with him a bit. Well, I mean, I got to hang out with him a couple of times with you know those guys and spend some time. But it was always funny and laughing and drinking. It wasn't yeah. you know. I know that the demons, and I know from his brothers, yeah. and I know, you know. I think the hardest part <clears throat> for me was just we just. My father was an alcoholic, and I learned a lot about alcoholism when I was young because my mom uh, took me to Al-Anon, which is a great thing to attend if you have an alcoholic in your family. Family members uh, of people with alcoholism can meet and talk about the things they're going through. And uh, the hardest part was uh, how... Just how inevitable it all felt. Everything in Chris's story, the way it played out. You just knew. Well, people talked about it for years and years. This is going to happen, then that, and then this, and then that. And then that's what happened. Did you ever tell him? I fucking hated it. It made me so mad. Because the one thing you don't want your life to be is a cliche. You don't want to... You just... Right? I mean, that's me. Yeah. That's what I say, but that's how I feel. No. I want to do something that surprises me and you about everything about the choices I make really surprises and, and, and not just live some fucking boring overtold story that has, that's just a hackneyed cliche. 
And his fucking story just played out like somebody could have written it when he was 25. It's horrible. Was it just like this feeling of like... I mean, he could have written it. He he kind of He just didn't love did. himself, ultimately. For sure. I, 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 For sure. I can relate to that. I think that a lot of people can relate yeah, to that. A lot of people can relate you to know? that. You know, and so what do you do? You act out. You try to be funny. You try to do this. Everybody loves me. And like we were talking about earlier, it's like how it's like... You know, a, I, I think his brother wrote a great book about him. Uh, you know, the, that book, uh, what's the book about Chris that his brother wrote? Not I Am. Uh, it's it great. And if you have a, a family member who's alcoholic, the book about Chris is really good to read. Because while in, a, in general terms, it was a cliche journey, uh, and that really pissed me off more than anything. Uh, in specifics, you know, there was a lot of struggle that went on, and, and there were moments that looked like... He would be all right. What, what's the name of the book? Uh, is it uh, the Chris Farley Show, a biography? In yeah, three acts? the Chris Farley Show. Yeah, I didn't read that. And one. and you get to some of the ins and outs. But Chris had some moments where he he might have pulled it off. He might have gotten out of that. Did he ever come to you for help, or did he ever? Um, no, he never came to me for help. No, um, I did see him at a party once in Hollywood, uh, not drunk, and not uh, drinking. He was with Spade and it was at somebody's fucking apartment. I don't even know who. It was like jam-packed with people. And I bet that made and, you happy. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, Chris, you're not drinking? Nope. And he meant it and he was strong and he looked great. Like, you know, look in his eye and strength. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking great. He's going to fucking make it. Yeah. Whatever he'd been to rehab, you know, seven times by then. And what, what it finally clicked. Good. Great. And that's the guy that I think everybody was rooting for. Pull it together. Like, yeah. Want, I, I really it. only saw that one time. That was the only time you remember seeing him. It was the only time I ever saw the look in his eye. But at least I saw it once and it gave me hope. But other than that, you either got him fucked up or him in that other mode of like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, right. Fucked up again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. Like, this is a show. This is a stop. Stop. You're fucking putting on a show for me. It's weird. You're standing right there. I'm not in an audience. I'm a, I'm a person. Don't fucking put on a play for me. Right. And and it was just, ugh, gross. Yeah. And that's those are, that's all you got. And, uh, and it was sad as fuck because he was such a good person. And his goodness and his heart. And a great actor. Came out in, in everything he, he did. Yeah. And, uh, and you just could, it was palpable, you know, you could just feel it. You know, do you ever get like, uh, you, since you did comedy your whole life, you like doing, you're always doing comedy, you're writing sketches, you're yeah, SNL, yeah, yeah. you're doing Conan, yeah. you get, yeah. by the way, my buddy Harlan, I told you, Har, you're yeah, our yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Harlan said, you just came up to me after he performed Harlan Williams, you know, dumb and dumber, my buddy, sorority boys, nobody saw it. But anyway, <laughs> you, know, you went up to him and you're like, Hey, you want to be on Conan O'Brien? And he's like, what? Hey, yeah, sure. But, and you got him on Conan O'Brien. You're that guy, though. That that doesn't happen. I think some of my friends still think that happens, where you know somebody just will walk up, maybe in their apartment while they're lying on the yeah. couch doing nothing, saying, "Hey, you're the guy we're looking for." Well, you know, um, I love to do that. Uh, you know, see somebody and see some place that where they could show what they do, something great, Shine. and try to help make that happen. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But I've been lucky enough to pull it off a few times. Yeah. But you can't help yourself, right? You go like, I know where this person should yeah. be. And you know, 
it's a tough business. And if you can give somebody a shortcut, either advice or just a connection to make, you should do it. It's fucking hard as fuck. And a lot of really talented people, to some extent, they're just waiting in line. I mean, you just got to wait. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You're just in line. They'll get to you. And But if you can shorten that line, you should try to do it. When do you say you're too old? When do you say, maybe you don't have what it takes? Maybe, do you ever say that? You just have to let them figure that out. Well, I think that the big, big key is if the thing itself is still satisfying to you, look, you can always want for more, you know, but if sometimes you meet actors and they clearly are sick of acting, <laughs> they're like pissed off about it, about making an effort or showing up and just like, well, just go do something else. I mean, if the thing itself is not making you happy, that's a, that's the math you have to do uh, as far as like, am I too old? Am I, will I make it? Will I still get more, get what I deserve? Huh. Are you happy when you go to set? Are you excited about the day? Uh, um, yeah, I have an amazing job. I have the best. I can't imagine a better acting job than Better Call Saul. I mean, there's no, I have a page that's pure comedy. And then two pages later is intense personal drama. Very well written. Really, Hit. you know, uh, it, it, the character has matured, which has been just the greatest thing ever. Um, there's a, a scene in the last week's episode of Better Call Saul that's silent. I mean, there's like, what, there's like four lines, but it's me and and Ray as Kim, and it's mostly silent. And it's just, it's just, there, can, there will never be, I can't imagine a role that's as good as what I have. So I have to just be very thankful that I get to do it. Do you, are you surprised if you looked at like 14 year old Bob Odenkirk and freaking Illinois or whatever? What, what, yeah. Well, you, there's I, that Gary Shandling thing again, that, that yeah, Jerry the Arizona Seinfeld thing. thing. Yeah. That, but, I'm well, from Arizona. Who the hell am I? What I'm thinking is not even well, that. Everybody in Hollywood's from somewhere. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Right. I but, mean, Jerry's right in that instance, but I relate to Gary. Of course. I, most, Jerry people, most Seinfeld people do. Is right. And that's why he's Jerry. But what, but what I'm saying is you always pro, for a long time thought comedy. I'm always going to do comedy. Well, I'm here's the thing. And that's funny because you were talking about, I'm going to be big one day. Or I'm going to make it. I never said that to anyone. Never. But I also didn't, I, and this, I, you may have some shared feelings on this, but I never thought about it that way. I just didn't. I knew I wanted to make enough money to pay the bills. When I was 20, one, and I decided to try to do this. I said, if I haven't made enough money to, you know, eat and have an apartment doing this by the time I'm 30, then I'm going to look for something else to do. But I have until I'm 30, I'm going to give myself nine years where it's not about making it. I'm just going to do what I'm just going to focus on the work, what I love, which I love to do. And and then secondarily, if I make enough money and I'm 30, then I'll stay in the business. If I don't, then I will, then that's the rule. I have to look at it and look for something else. But are you surprised that you have become this phenomenal dramatic actor from, from like a comedy writer and comedy actor who was doing, 
Did you ever honestly think that one day I'm going to get Critic Choice Awards? Of course not. No, of course I didn't think that. Not at all. But here's what I did think, and I talk about this in my book too. The one time I was on stage with Chris Chris Farley and Jill Talley at Second City. So I was a couple of years into my comedy career. I was I'd already been a writer at Saturday Night Live for three years, and uh, and we were doing an improv. And you know how when you do a show a lot, like on stage at Second City, you're on stage eight times a week, eight shows a week. Your brain can really like, you can think about what you have to buy at the grocery store. You can think about something you have to do tomorrow. You really can go, you can kind of compartmentalize what you're doing because you spend so hours on stage. Right, right, right. And uh, I don't know, this stray thought came into my head that like, I should try to do drama one day. <laughs> I'm on stage doing a scene and it's improv, by the way, like we're making, I better pay attention. But I just had this weird thought. I'm looking at the audience and they're looking at Farley and I don't blame them. I would be too. And I'm like, if I was in a drama, what would that feel? I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty fucking great. There. How old were you? I would have been about 27. So you thought there was that moment where I could, and, I and, the, and what it was, was it was like a thought of, I think I, I boil it down to like comedy has, um, I think comedy, this is my bullshit theory. You guys ready? Comedy 101. There it goes. Because this is comedy 305. You're a junior in college now studying comedy. Okay. The bullshit theory is that comedy is kind of appreciative and rewarding of simple energy. Like Chris, you just love him. You smile the second he walks in front of you. I think a lot of comedy actors have this quality. I think Will Ferrell, uh, I think Sandler, although Sandler can get complicated. Mm -hmm. This thing he did last year is amazing. Oh, the Netflix special? Uh, no, the um, movie with the Safdie brothers, um, Uncut Gems. Oh, um, I thought that was one of the, the best um, performance of the year. I do. That was the hardest performance to me, when I watched it, I, I tweeted, he liked it, but uh, I tweeted him and I said, this is the most, I, 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 here, when I watch a performance, yeah. I think sometimes as an actor, you sit there, could I do that? Yeah. And I go, you know what? I could do that. I, I could do it my own way and I could be great at that. Right. He's great. I'm not knocking it. And right. there are some performances that go, I can't do that. Yeah. I couldn't do what yeah. he just did. Yeah. Yeah. That was Sandler's performance. Yeah. He couldn't do that. Yeah, I agree. Me too. And or yours. Well, I agree <laughs> with kind of that same kind of character. I was like, I don't even want that guy. I, That's it's, too hard. In a lot of ways, it's built for uh, me. It's, oh, it is. There you go. It then is you built gotta, for me. <laughs> you know, um, um, but a lot. I think comedy kind of rewards a simple, simpler energy that you bring, where the audience, the person watching, can kind of know that person quickly, like that. And I think drama rewards a certain degree of compl complication where the person where you're like, I don't know if this guy's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know. I think he's being funny, but, and I think that I probably bring more of that kind of energy in front of people. And just from doing a lot of comedy and being around people like David Cross, who's so funny and uh, Jay Johnston and, um, and Chris and Jack Black and people who are just, you just smile when you see them and you just laugh. And to mention some women, Jill Talley and uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub, although she can do drama too, it turns out. But uh, I, I just had this weird brain fart that I think I'm 
I think I fit maybe in this other world. Maybe I might better. I never pursued it. I, that's, I that's sort of my point. And that's the weird part, right? You didn't pursue I it. did audition for roles if they were offered to me to audition for. Right. I, I auditioned for a couple Alexander Payne roles. And, and of course, Larry Sanders kind of rode this line between comedy and drama. Um, but I never pursued it. Right. Because, um, because the life of an actor is so fucking hard. And you really are, you really can't do your job unless someone says you can do your job. Uh, unless you get in an acting company and you guys put on plays and you decide what plays you're going to put on and you put yourself in them, you don't get to decide if you get to act. And that always looked like a sucky scenario to me. Yeah. Whereas a writer, you can't make people buy your shit, but you can just do your fucking job for free. Right. Take out the paper and go to work. And if it's good enough, you can hope that over time you'll sell it, but at least you get to do it. At the very least, you get to do it, and no one can stop you. And it's as close to writing as a successful person. It's the same job as a person who's successful. You you sit down with the paper, and you try to clarify and, and, and deliver drama or comedy or whatever it is you're doing. And you get to do your fucking job without having to ask somebody, is it okay for me to do my job today? Yeah. Would you let me? And that, so I never pursued acting because of that aspect of it, because I, it just, the idea of having to get permission, just no fucking way. I'm going down that road. I love it. This is a, this, we're going to finish up with this. This is what I call my patrons. They have, uh, the patrons have, it's called shit talking with Rosamond. These are just questions from fans real quick. You answer them quickly. You don't have to like right. linger on it. Uh, real quick. Bob says, can you name a childish thing you still find enjoyment in? <sighs> Throwing a baseball, uh, is there, riding a bike. I love riding a bike. Makes you feel young again. I love it. Robert, well, would you ever consider attending Different comic cons as a guest for meet and greets with fans as well as uh, fans of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. I don't think I would. I don't think I really? would. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Not your thing. It's just not my thing. Uh, I just don't perceive it as a a meaningful thing to do. But what if fans all over the world who never could meet you could meet you? What good is that going to do them? They're going to love it's it. Worthless. They're like, oh my God. A waste their Bob, time. I'm but not to them. It'd be a waste I of time. I go to these time. conventions. I'm just going to say, I'm not saying, you're not knocking it. Yeah. I, I get that. You're saying it's not for you. I'm saying when I go, people all over the world or whatever, they get to meet you. Look, and maybe. You hang out. And I always give up going above and beyond. And I think it's a great thing for them. I enjoy them. They yeah, enjoy yeah, them. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. There's nothing wrong with it. I saw, you know, a person who I, whose work I like, uh, John Cleese, I saw he was doing a tour. Um, and, you know, he just talks about his career. You know, I saw a lot of some older actors. I think Pacino did this, too. That's great. I mean, I would want to go see Pacino talk about his career and, and Cleese, too. You know, right. so I see the value of it. I just I guess for now, I'd say I don't really think I'd do it. All right. Amy, was there ever a character you play that you really connected with? Um, yeah, Ben Bagdickian in The Post. I felt like he was a lot like me. And I and then I got to know some people later who knew Ben Bagdickian, the the reporter who got the Pentagon Papers, and he sounded more like me than I even knew. So kudos. He swore to... a lot. He got pissed off a lot. He was uh, driven. He was uh, kind of a purist, and 
And uh, yeah. Spielberg just knew you were the guy. Well, I guess so. But I, I feel like I connect to that guy more than anybody I've played. Emily, what was it like to be in the office? Oh, it was a joy. I mean, listen, that to me, that's the most fun kind of acting. I curb your enthusiasm and the office where you get to improvise around a, a funny comedy idea and with a few lines from the writers, maybe a structure, and then you get to improvise. Just nothing better. And it's kind of based in reality, right? So you're sort of, it's not super broad. Did they say you got about, make it like three or four minutes? We don't have a lot of time here. Yeah, but you just do multiple takes and then they give you, they give you advice on shortening it or speeding it up right, and shit right, like right. that. But it's the most fun. Have you done it? Have you had well, you a get show? To improvise a little. Yeah. yeah, there's been something like Rosie go on this one. You know, just you guys just start. Yeah, do but it. I mean, like a show like Curb. Or no, the I haven't Office. got to do that. Well, I'd I love hope to you do get that. to do it one day. It's the most fun you can have doing this. Although, second or equal to that is um, fighting in an action movie is really fun. You like to fight? You a like lot. getting physical? It's the most fun. It's just fun. I'm just saying it's super fun. I like, you know, I like action. I like doing that stuff, but you like choreograph it, it, you learn it, you get in good shape. And then it's a bunch of people all chipping in. There's always last minute changes that you have to make, even though you choreograph this thing and there's an excitement to achieving it, to, to doing the moves and getting them right. And like, it's hard to do and you have to work together to do it. And, uh, it's just a real group effort. It's, it involves your brain and your body, so it's everything. You're just completely focused. It's a, it's a real hoot. I love it. Raj, from your time on SNL, do you remember writing any skits you thought were hilarious but didn't make it past the pitch meetings or rehearsals? Uh, there was one really, really dumb sketch that I wrote, and John Lovitz it was for John Lovitz, and Lovitz always remembered it too, and he always brought it up to me. I don't, I'm not guaranteeing it was good, but in my mind, I thought it was pretty good. It was uh, about a, a hot dog vendor and a, who has a trainee and he keeps blowing up at the trainee. Like, don't get put mustard on it. What are you doing? When the person walks away, well, I don't know. He asked for mustard. Yeah, but you don't put it on right away. You just give me. And he's like, the guy who's training him is trying to figure out reasons why it's not so easy to do when it's there's no there's nothing to train it's like mickey training rocky but for a hot dog but it's like yeah you know, he would you'd handle this this guy do it right this time and then like yes sir and this and he puts it on and looks at the guy and gives it to him and then the guy walks away and it's, what the hell was that <laughs> what you know and then he's it's like it, it was kind of pure performance which is great on saturday night live oh yeah and it was really funny in uh in read through but i think that probably lauren just thought oh it's just extremely dumb <laughs> how many extremely how about the that could be kid? really funny how about the hurley ki yes. kid that, i mean talk about yeah can i sleep in your bed please let me sleep will you sleep let the boy sleep in your bed yeah he's a good boy come on the best idiot yeah yeah Jerry, can you tell us a fun behind-the-scenes story from either Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul that no one's heard? A fun behind-the-scenes story? I don't know, something, if you think of it. Moving I, on? I got nothing. I'm sorry. You know, really, this is actually a problem for me. Is uh, I, I work really hard, and I, I don't have a, I don't fuck around a lot. 
you know, like goof around. No goof ups. No, we laugh and make jokes, but we fucking work hard. So I, sometimes I hear these stories about people on set and playing pranks and stuff. And you're like, who has time for pranks? We barely can shoot the show with the time we've got. If I fucking pulled a prank, I'd be like, uh, Sony's on the line. You blew $50,000 with your fucking prank. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, shoot the show. Jonathan Banks. Somebody pranks him. pranking the going fuck? on. Kevin, have there uh, been any story arcs you suggested or worked with the writers for Better Call Saul that made it in the show? You had an idea. It's a good question. I uh, they do ask me what I think, and I do I do talk about the show and the character pretty much from the point of view of a fan, which is to say, I just watch it and I I'd like to see this happen, and I like this character, and I want him to I don't want him to die or whatever. I just sound like a fan. Right. When you read fan comments, I'm the same way. Don't kill Kim. Come on. <laughs> you know, um, they don't listen to me. I mean, they do, but. They don't. But they shouldn't because they're great storytellers. And and they think on a deeper level. And one of the things they do is they're really always working to to tell a story that you couldn't predict, but that makes sense, emotional sense. And so usually whatever I pitch them is kind of, some logical extension of what's happening. And that's exactly what they don't want to do is something that you can foresee fairly easily. They want to do something that surprises you, but resonates with everything you know about the character or the world. Lisa, any good behind the scenes stories from your time on how I met your mother? Another question about uh, behind the scenes. Well, no yeah, that, but that's not work. Can I, mean, I tell you work, the, about but it, how I met your mother? That was amazing. It's yeah. not a story at all. But <laughs> I, I, I did like six episodes. And the first time I went in the read through, I was like, what is going on? Like people are like, hey, how you doing? What'd you do? Where'd you go? We went to Santa Barbara. Oh, really? Did you eat at that place? Everyone was smiling and they read their script and laughed and, and then they clapped at the end of it. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Who's, is there somebody here that you're doing a show for? And then the more I did the show, the more I realized, no, they like each other. <laughs> they like the show they're on and they like each other. That was so weird. It was just odd to you. It was so fucking weird. It, I, <laughs> I couldn't conceive of it. I'm not that people hate each other, but right. they were so um, happy. Enthused. Also, people get so jaded so easily in this business, right? Mm -hmm. And they weren't. They were like really thankful to be doing this show. That could be, Years that could be obnoxious, can it? Why are you so it happy? It didn't Come seem on. real, but it was. But it was. Because the more I would go back, the same thing would happen again. Hey, Bob, how are you? We're headed over to Sushi Roku. You want to come? But shouldn't you feel that way? Oh, I remember. Shit, I wish if I'm a Molly. Sandler also kind of made me see that in in the world that I kind of you know you work so hard when you're starting out and you're kind of looking for a break and you know you're just kind of working against like how much you suck. You're like I suck so much. I got to work so hard. And then to see him enjoy everything. He enjoyed being on Saturday Night Live. He enjoyed. Uh, after party and the energy of it and like what are you what is this guy doing he's happy about this and then you're like well i should be too fucking a come on if we can't enjoy this shit something that's kind of not right that's true and i and i think that a lot of people everybody everybody i talked to from snl or it just seems like it was miserable and it was this competition well, i mean there's a like, lot of reasons why snl 
is miserable for people. And number one, they're very young. It's their first job. They're unbelievably intimidated. They feel like it's going to be a judgment on them. I think a little less now than it used to be. It used to be when I went there, there was a feeling like if I fail here, I'm out of show business. Now people know that's not actually true. You can, Robert Downey did one year there, right? But, you know, it doesn't mean you suck forever. It just means it didn't work there. Right. And people kind of know that. And that's good. That's healthy. But, um, you know, people are young and intimidated and it's a fucking steam train. It doesn't slow down for anybody. So there's nobody holding your hand. Nobody explains to you what's going to happen next. So it just is a, it's a recipe for a huge mind fuck and it, and it works. <laughs> Last question, Danny, was it a thrill to be a cast, a cast on the Larry Sanders show? What was it like? For sure. And likely, uh, what was it like to work with Gary Shandling? Uh, it was a huge thrill to be uh, cast in Gary's show. And I had been on the Ben Stiller show before that and a writer there. And Gary had guested in the show. We all got to know him from that and, and just from the scene uh, because he gave a shit about young comics. He watched people and looked for who was doing something interesting. And uh, he believed in me, which I didn't deserve. And I don't know why. But I was thankful for it. And, uh, you know, it was really nice to play. I've always enjoyed, as I've had the opportunity, I love comedy. I write comedy. I, I loved writing the crazy, broad comedy that I wrote when I was young, and I still like it. But it's really nice to play more subtle and more real-feeling characters. I think, for me, I can modulate in there better, and I can... I just feel more effective in that world. So getting that break, Gary giving me that break to play somebody who's just a little more straightforward human. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had just great joy to be around him. Although he was stressed out all the time. Gary was. Really? Did you know Gary? I did know Gary. I mean, yeah. you know, it I was, mean, you know, he I hung was, out with him like probably five or six times and he was always like, he always wanted to know about Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, he was always like, like hey, "Come here for a second, come here." What, yeah. what is it? What are you doing at the party, Silverman? Sarah Silverman's party. I saw you there. We talked for a while. What is it? What are you, what are you on that show? What is that? What do you like it? Why do you? What do you do it? What's the? He's just always picking my brain, and it yeah, was just. Yeah. But he, I felt like he just wanted to talk about you. At least that's what yeah. I felt. No, he did. He did. Yeah, I mean that documentary that Judd did for was H, amazing for HBO, right? Or no, for Netflix was just great. It's really, it's great, but it is, it is sad. And, and it is also, um, you just get exhausted. Do you do the, all that stuff? Do you meditate? Do you, do you believe um, it? I, I try to meditate with Headspace. Do you know that app? Mm -hmm. It's really good. Um, yeah, I maybe think, you know, I try to, maybe I try to, now. I don't do it every day, but I get into it more. But you work out a lot. You're in good shape. I'm in good shape. I can't believe you're 62. No, I'm 57. Oh, good. You're but good. I will be 62 if all goes well. No, but you look great, though. My dad died at 56. 56? So, you know, whatever your dad dies at, that as a guy, I personally thought, well, I won't make it to 56 for sure, because I know. Oh, wait a minute. I did the math wrong, because I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 48, and you were born in 62, When did your right? father die? Yeah. My father didn't die. Oh. In fact, if he's listening to this, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, hi, my, hi, Pops. My father, how you doing, Dad? Uh... No, he didn't die. And he but never will. He's healthy. He and doesn't smoke. He, he doesn't drink. He, he doesn't, never will. Well, he doesn't do anything. Yeah. He'll never. He never will. He'll probably. He'll, you know, my grandfather lived long. It's good. you know, I think it's pretty good. But I, yeah, then your dad died mostly. Well, he had bone cancer. He had bone cancer, and I don't know how you get that. I don't either. How do you get bone he didn't cancer? Smoke, 
but he spent a lot of time in bars where there was an awful lot of smoke, right? Right. Back then. And, uh, yeah. This is awesome. Did Thanks, you enjoy man. this? I did. It was great having a great conversation about Wasn't all this it? stuff. Yeah. I really had yeah. fun with you. We can go in all different directions uh, and just talk shit. I really, uh, I'm thankful because I know how busy you are and I know you're a family guy and I know you work your ass off. Yeah. And I also try not to do too many podcasts because there's so many of them and you feel like enough about me. Right. But you're so interesting. Well, you have such a good perspective. It's not true. How, uh, you know, albeit uh, cynical. Yeah, I am. I am. Well, you're great. We'll go take a picture downstairs. All right, cool, and, uh, man. All right, Bob. Thank you. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed that. If you enjoyed that, please, please subscribe. If you like Bob, Bob Odenkirk and that's the only reason you listened, I implore you. Try to listen to some more. You might learn something. You will learn something from other guests. And uh, the guests that I have, they open up more than anyone will ever see or know. <laughs> it's not entirely true, but they uh, it's pretty phenomenal. And I love the support. And I'd appreciate it if you subscribed and uh, sent it to your friends. At Inside of You Podcast, at Inside of You Pod, I think on Twitter. Facebook is and Instagram is Inside of You Podcast. Um, Odenkirk is just so dynamic, man. I love that dude. Oh, man. Uh, I hope everybody's doing great. I uh, want to give a, a shout out to my patrons. They just keep piling up. They surprise me every day. I see new patrons and I'm just, I send them a message of thanks and support for the podcast. Top tier is Allison L., Andrew C, Angelina G. We just did a YouTube. Uh, I do a private YouTube for my patrons here and there, and I just play music for an hour, hour and a half, and I talk to them, and they talk to me, and it's nice. That sounded sexual. Barry I, hi Barry, Bobby Bortex, Brian H, Carly S, Chris CJP, Emily K, Emily S, Hamza B. Jack S, Jake M, Jason D, Jason W, Jennifer S, Jerry W, Jill E, Joshua D, Judith, she's new, Judith D, Judith D, Judith D, Judith D, Catherine M, Kevin R, Kimberly E, Lauren G, Leah S, hi, how are you, Stubbs, Mark A, Mary B, Melissa R, Mikey, Nancy D, Neil W, oh yeah, bro, Nico. You know, I love my Nico. Nico's so helpful. He's been really helping me in the whole uh, podcast stuff. Just, you know, just working hard on the uh, on the inside, trying to get us uh, more attention. Raj, good buddy Raj. Reem, Reem. Robert B, Rocks Raccoon. She's new, but she's been here a little bit. Samantha M, Sarah V, Sean W, Stacy L, uh, Tabitha272, Tiana, Trisha F., Vanessa in the sky, and everybody, Yukiko. I love you, Yukiko. Uh, as you know, um, your support is tremendous. You can go to the online store inside of you, online store to get uh, inside of you merch. Uh, got a bunch of great stuff, and Left on Laurel stuff is still there, too, if you want. Um, it won't be there too long, much longer, so you might want to get some Left on Laurel. It's going to become a collector's edition. Uh, very special thanks to my guest, Bob Odenkirk. Special thanks to Ryan. Uh, editing this. Um, it's hard to be away from Ryan. You know, I'm doing this all by myself and he's doing that all by himself. And we're just, it's just a lot. Um, here's a, uh, here's a fan. Hey, Michael, I know I'm probably supposed to join patron Patreon, and not just email you directly, but I haven't had a chance to even look at Patreon or much of anything. 
Anyway, just a quick note to tell you whatever obstacles or discouragements you run into, keep going. I had a difficult week. After years, almost 1,000 shots, tens of thousands of dollars in multiple miscarriages, my wife and I did our final IVF cycle and embryo transfer. Everything seemed to go well, but our last baby, a girl, didn't make it. I feel like a dumbass because I had my own I had my only child, my two-year-old daughter, so excited as I had told her her sister's name, Victoria, was on the way. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said anything to her, but I was so optimistic. Things are a bit tough now besides my insurance lifetime fertility coverage maxed out. My marriage seems to be in a rough patch. I'm done with the IVF stuff. I can't do it anymore and just want to focus on being thankful for what I have. My wife is older and Resents that I won't keep trying, but even the doctor says it's unlikely. I cannot keep tearing my family apart, chasing something. Sorry for the novel of an email. But I wanted to tell you that I, I got this tough news, and I was devastated, scared of what comes next, filled with anxiety. After praying, I went for a walk, and your podcast was one of the first places I went. It genuinely made me feel better and gave me more perspective. Or some perspective. So whatever you run into, keep doing what you do, man, because it does matter, and it makes a difference. Thank you, Rob. Well, you're going to get me a little choked up, Rob. Um, Don't even know what to say. Boy, does that, doesn't that just put things into perspective? Talk about perspective. We all have tough days. We all have stuff going on. And then when you read that, you're like, okay. Uh, I love when people reach out. I love when they are vulnerable. I love when my guests are vulnerable. I like when people just are human and they act human. And maybe at the end of the day, when this is all over, we'll be more human, more humane, more loving, forgiving, accepting, you know, not being able to touch your friends and give them a hug or just hang out and have laughs. You take things for granted. And I'm not preaching. I'm just saying I, I'm figuring this out. What you have, what is important to you, what's important to you is right in front of you and always will be. It's not those intangibles of, uh, you know, you want to be this, you want to do that. I want to be a rock star. I want to, if I had this big of a house, if I had, it's really, I'm telling you, you've heard it from so many people, rich, poor, if you have love, if you have connection, you have got it all. Thank you all for allowing me to be inside of you today. And um, I hope to see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.